the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We saw in the first meditation the role of Saint Joseph in helping us to become men of prayer. Then we we examined his role in helping us to become true workers and to sanctify our work because he was the head of the family and protected the family with his work. But all that was applied in his life to the difficulties and the hardships and what you might call the contradictions of life, which we can imagine he no doubt faced with courage. And that's what we want to focus now on in this time of prayer. How can the stable figure of St. Joseph help us now in our life, in this period of history that we're living, to face with courage, magnanimity, and, and, a, and a spirit of faith, the small setbacks, the big setbacks or contradictions that happen in anybody's life and how he can help us to do that. Well, first we can consider that in the Bible, we often see examples of punishments that happen to the people of God, like, like a flood, it was like, a, like a kind of a punishment. But all those Sort of disasters, difficulties that happen, always have some kind of pedagogical purpose. But at the heart of all those events, plagues and things like that, God always wants to save. And he never permits the suffering of the innocent, or let's see, for no reason. And in fact, it's, it's enough for there to be one innocent that the Lord kind of stops the punishment promises, promised and, and avoids their suffering. Like we take the example uh, that we saw this morning in the gospel, the allusion to the serpents who, who bite people in the desert and all these people were, you know, getting the virus, you know, all these people were being bitten and many of them were dying. This morning I, I spoke to my friend from Mexico there and he said, Padre es una moridera, which I said, well, what is that? A moridera, that means it's like a, it's a gigantic death. Everybody in Mexico seems to be dying, he said. Uh, the way he described it, he, he, knew, he, know, he knows many people who have died. And, and so in the desert, there are many people dying of these serpents that God had released. So God told Moses to to fashion a bronze serpent so that people could gaze upon it and be cured. And this was like a premonition of the cross where we would be cured by our Lord as he was raised up on the cross. And it does, But it does seem sometimes that the innocent do suffer and that the bad ones do prosper. 
And, uh, and of course, Jesus breaks with this idea that if someone suffers, it has to be because he must have done some evil. Like when the, the, uh, the Pharisees ask, you know, why is this man born blind? Is he born blind because uh, him or his parents did evil? And uh, is he just getting his just, just desserts? That's why he's blind? Um, and uh, and uh, our Lord responded, no, do, do you think that he's blind because he did something bad? In other words, uh, and he alludes to the, the Tower of Siloam or other bad events. Do you think they were all bad, all the people who died in that event? And he underlines, you know, that it's, it's, it's just not that simple. No, uh, These things happen to the good and the bad. And that's why the situation that we're living now of the pandemic is really uh, an invitation for us to look more profoundly in our prayer at the origin of evil, the origin of pain, the origin of suffering. What does our faith have to say about it? And how are we truly responding to this? And how are we helping others? How would St. Joseph have responded to these things? Pope Francis said that the painful things that we experience, these things do make us suffer, but they should not simply make us complain. Whether they are big or whether they are small, they are really opportunities for us to embrace these things and to grow, to grow. This is perhaps part of the nature of the pandemic, that it is an opportunity to grow. And the Pope goes on to explain how this is precisely what St. Joseph did as he accepted the hardships of his life, the difficulties. He says that the, the bridegroom of Mary, he says in, in Patris Corde, in the encyclical on encyclical letter on St. Saint, Saint Joseph, he says that the bridegroom of Mary is also the one who, trusting in the Lord, accepts in his life even the events that he does not understand, setting aside his own ideas and reconciling himself with his own history. He accepts. Joseph's, he says, Joseph's spiritual path is not one that ex explains, but one that accepts. Which does not mean that he is resigned. Instead, he is courageously and firmly proactive. Because with the Holy Spirit's gift of fortitude and full of hope, he is able to accept life as it is. With all his contradictions, frustrations and disappointments. A beautiful text by the, by the Pope there. It's the first time I've seen um, the explanation of resignation as not a good thing, that we shouldn't simply be resigned, but, it, but embrace actively. This is what our father used to say. He didn't, he didn't like the idea we should just be resigned. In practice, through St. Joseph, the Pope says, it is as though if God were to repeat to us, do not be afraid because faith gives meaning to every event, however happy or sad. 
and makes us aware that God can make flowers spring from the stony ground. Joseph did not look for shortcuts, but confronted reality with open eyes and accepted personal responsibility for it. For this reason, he encourages us to accept and welcome others as they are, without exception, and show special concern for the weak. That's why we have to love our brothers as they are, those around us with their defects as they are. And perhaps we can see this in, in, the, in the light of the seven sorrows and the seven joys of St. Joseph. My understanding is that this tradition of the seven sorrows and joys of St. Joseph in the history of the church started as merely the seven sorrows. That's all. It was just seven sorrows. Then later, a priest added, well, let's, let's balance that out with joys. And then later, it became the seven Sundays of St. Joseph. And the origin, I'm told, was, you may have heard of this, it was an incident in the 18th century where these two Franciscan priests were traveling on a ship off the Belgian coast, and the ship capsized in the midst of a major storm. The ship sank, everybody drowned, and these two Franciscan priests held on for dear life on a plank of wood, one small little plank of wood, and they were adrift for three days in the middle of the ocean. And then suddenly, uh, this luminous figure appeared to them. Well, no, they prayed to St. Joseph. They said, well, we're going to die here, but let's pray to St. Joseph. And suddenly, or I don't know, a little time after, this luminous figure appeared and said, okay, now go, I don't know, paddle this way with your feet. And eventually, they got to shore. And they asked him, could you tell us who you are? And uh, he said to the Franciscans that... Uh, he was St. Joseph, and that he, he, he told them about the seven sorrows that he had experienced, right? And um, they said that he looked quite young, and that he taught them to recite the seven Our Fathers and Hail Marys in honor of those sorrows. And then, and then later on, the joys, as I understand, the joys were added later on. And... and uh, it's a beautiful story of somebody in the midst of probably a very panic-stricken situation that, well, somebody, two, two people, two brothers together in arms, so to speak. And so for us, as, as we reflect on those seven sorrows, like the, his doubts first about Mary and seeing Mary, that, that was a sorrow for him, right? And then uh, his, uh, his poverty seeing the poverty that Jesus, that he had to give to Jesus. And we see that soul right here on this, on this painting. That, that was for him a sorrow. But at the same time, it was a joy at seeing the beauty and the luminosity, of course, of his child being born. So it was sorrow. I don't have a, a really decent place, but it was a joy as well. And that, and that with all the seven sorrows, they all sort of go together like that. And... But for us, we have to learn for them the joys and sorrows, sorrows and joys for eternity, and really let the the contradictions, the set the setbacks. Ask the Saint Joseph, help me to grow, help me to grow. Is there one?
contradiction that has happened to you of late, that some annoyance that, that helped you to grow. Um, I, I heard a story recently uh, about a, a woman, I believe her name was uh, Gail Owens, who was convicted of uh, um, hiring a hitman to kill her husband, which she did, and she was convicted and on death row for 28 years. And um, during those years, I mean, she, she was guilty. She, she did because her husband had been very, very abusive of her and had been unfaithful and stuff, and she, he was making life for her impossible, so she hired a hitman. And, uh, and she was on death row. But during that time in which she, she was in solitary confinement, she finally, um, she finally broke down and began to pray and ask forgiveness and uh, sort of let God into her life and really felt a deep sense of God's forgiveness. And uh, somehow, after many, many years, the governor of Tennessee decided to commute her death row to, um, to life in prison, and which opened the doors for her to be able to have parole. And in an interview, she said, for me, the greatest mercy of God is just sitting in hot traffic. Right? When I'm in hot traffic and everybody's honking, I see that as a mercy of God, you know. And we, uh, maybe, well, we don't have that much traffic anymore now because of the pandemic. But uh, you know, sometimes traffic can can kind of is a contradiction. We don't get home on time. We'll get late somewhere, and uh, and do I do I lean into these opportunities as as opportunities to embrace God's mercy and God's goodness? knowing that God allows these setbacks to happen. Do I, can I identify now a setback, a contradiction, a pain, something that has happened to me in the last week that bothered me, in which well, St. Joseph could help me maybe to, to grow in fortitude and to embrace it. Uh, there, there are some who in front of any, let's say, evil or setback, have recourse by by explaining this as simple fate. It's just fate. You you get you know you get into an accident. Well, you get lose something. You get robbed. Well, what can you do? It's just fate. There's no meaning. Right? In German, uh, we say schicksal. Schicksal. That's the word. And I remember speaking uh, with a, with an aunt, and we were talking about something terrible that had happened to somebody and she said, well, shiksal, that's shiksal. And I said, what? What is shiksal? And she didn't know another word. She didn't know how to explain it. So I had to look it up. Uh, ah, it's fate. That's just fate. Meaning the thing has no meaning. Nobody knows why. This is good and evil. Just try to good, enjoy the good when you can, period. Try to triumph over it. Save yourself when you can. Just hang on to that raft like those two Franciscans. But there's no meaning. Just endure it. That's the kind of stoic approach. And we're not stoics. We're sons and, sons and daughters of God. We cry. We are in sorrow. We accept the setbacks, but always filled with hope. Mm -hmm. 
And we can ask St. Joseph now, well, may my hope really grow. May I grow more mature, more supernatural. May I have especially a deeper sense of solidarity during this time. Um, and I, I was listening to a, an interview with a psychologist at the University of Navarre, and she said that in the media and the messages brought out by the different governments, I suppose she was mainly referring to Spain, but uh, let's say the different messages that were sent out to the public about facing the pandemic, a lot of the, a lot of the imagery had to do with the fact that we are like in a pandemic, we're like fighting in a war. And we have to hunker down. Each one of us is in his own bunker. And like air raids, the pandemic is like an air raid and everybody has to hunker down into their bunker and protect, you know, save yourself and your family in your bunker. And thereby you're isolated and that's the best you can do. And she studied this thing and she said that many governments use the warlike imagery to explain uh, the pandemic. And uh, even, you know, they would say that people could only do things with their own household, stay within your household, don't go into another household and so forth. And, uh, but she said that that often increases the sense of psychological, um, I guess, panic, because it so weakens the sense of solidarity among us, she said. And um, the sense of being together is weakened. We all suffer, whether we're young and old or old. Uh, you know, everybody is affected, and, and it's it's much more um, we're much more capable of facing this challenge if we do it in in the light of solidarity. That uh, we're all this in this together. You know, the young people are fragile because they're seeing this during the formative years of their life, but the older are more fragile because they're obviously physically more, you know, uh, susceptible to this. And so what we know is that when God created the world, he made it good. He made it good. In fact, he said it was very, very good. God saw that it was good and he, and he put Adam and Eve there on the, on the world to serve it, to, to, to serve and, and to serve each other. And, well, that serpent came, and then, of course, sin entered the world. And the original plan was that they, they should contribute to the, to the building of the world, they should serve each other, help each other in that garden. But now after sin, everybody seems to be in his own plans. It's as though everybody's turned in towards themselves, their own creation. It's as though we don't want to depend on anyone. Everybody's doing their own thing, kind of. And um, the man will dominate the woman and vice versa. And, and the initial harmony that God created, even you could call it the solidarity that God created in that moment of creation between man and woman was broken. There was the suspicion of one of the other. We might ask, Okay, there was original sin. Why doesn't God just start, a, start over? Reboot the system 
Sometimes the computer is jammed, it doesn't, so we just reboot, unplug it and reboot. And why didn't God do that after original sin and say, okay, we'll just start over the system and then, well, a new Adam, Adam 2, Eve 2, you know, or 2.0. And, and then those new versions, let's say, we can imagine, would not sin. But of course, of course, God could have done that. He could have rebooted the whole system. But it would mean that he was not really taking sin seriously. And as though he doesn't require man to ask forgiveness for that evil, which was sin. If he had just said, let us start over again, uh, it would really mean that he's not really taking our freedom seriously. It's as though he would have created these immature kids, the, the, you know, like the eternal immature children we would have been. He respects our freedom. He respects our ability to choose. And the ultimate consequences. Our actions do have an effect. He does not destroy us. And so how does he respond to that evil, which is sin? Well, he himself takes on the evil uh, as an innocent one, and he suffers, he suffers, you could say, as we know, for us. That's why today's gospel, you know, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Well, we too have been bitten by an invisible serpent, a poisonous serpent. And I guess you could say now the serpent is called COVID. And uh, the serpent of sin, the serpent of disunity, we've also been bitten by that. So, as we move on towards the resurrection, we have to look at the cross that was lifted up for us with courage. When I, when I say my three Hail Marys before going to bed, maybe ask for purity, I kneel there, I can, as we've learned from the beginning, I put my arms in the form of the cross. I am somehow lifted up there. Maybe I can look at my crucifix on the wall and I'm looking at him who has been lifted up on the cross so that I can face the challenges of the next day or just now I'm going to rest but face those challenges by adoring him there on the cross. Let us adore him there on our, our behalf and on behalf of those who don't do so. We can gaze maybe with more, with more piety on the cross. When we're tired, look upon the cross, the Son of Man who's raised up, lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So we can, we're tired, we have a headache, look at the cross, we'll have eternal life. When we have to put on the mask, look at the cross, or at least picture it. It's annoying to put the mask on, 
when we have a, a bit of a dry cough, look at the mask, look at the mask, look at the cross. Every time we use that hand sanitizer, all those uh, good reasons to look at the cross. And uh, St. Paul, we know, said, for our sake, he made himself to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that's what he did for our sake. He took on, well, the, the drama of the cross. He suffered the suffering of an innocent and really suffered all the consequences of sin for us. We heard uh, last week the, the story of a, for, for the high school boys, a, a, a fellow who was giving a testimony of his reconversion. And uh, he says that, uh, he says that most psychological or mental problems, he says very, you know, declared it like that, are because we are told in our society that everything is okay, you can just reinvent ourselves. You can reinvent yourself. You can do what you want. There is no sin. So there's nothing to confess and therefore nothing truly to be forgiven of. In some ways, we don't need the cross because everything's fine. Do you, you want to be this? You want to be that? It's okay. Do whatever you want. He said that he realized that this actually strengthens people's anguish. They think that they need not be forgiven. And he said they go into deeper uh, depression when they think that they need not be the, uh, forgiven, so they're, they're fine. And he was talking about, um, you know, ending up in the, in the psych ward. It was quite a dramatic uh, account. Uh, and he had very, very dark thoughts, very depressed. And, uh, and then, uh, well, he was a baptized Catholic, but he did not believe it, nor uh, practiced it. And he was going through a, really a very, very difficult time. And he, but he said, though he was not practicing, though baptized, he realized that upon his baptism, God had sent him a guardian angel. And he said, during the dark period of his life, I suppose a few months or maybe over a year, he would very regularly see his guardian angel weeping, crying for him. And he didn't, didn't know that he, was even, he wasn't even sure that a guardian angel even existed. He eventually said, I don't know if you're real, but he, he saw a guardian angel. But he said, I don't know if you're real, but I need your help because you're, you're crying for me. And I can't go on like this. And uh, he had a profound dream after that in which he presumably saw God and he understood that he had to go to confession. He understood that. And uh, this, this was a turning point in his life when he did that. Right? Uh, and uh, he came back to God. And, uh, but he realized that the fullness of uh, the response to evil ultimately was our Lord suffering on the cross, where our Lord was telling him, look, I'm, I'm suffering here for you, out of love for you. 
I'm close to you. It's okay. I'm always here. And ultimately, Joseph teaches us to identify those things that break our pathway towards God, where we are not really embracing that true freedom, where we're, we're not really growing. And if Joseph had gone off to do his own plans, uh, you know, everything would have been different. But instead he obeyed and suffered and, and uh, you know, embraced, embraced this uh, plan that God had uh, entrusted him with. So let us ask St. Joseph to make us stronger now, to, to make us courageous, and especially, I would say that, to have a deep sense of solidarity with those around us, those close to us, so we can face and grow in maturity. I mean, after, after COVID is all over, we will have, we, it's already the case, but we already know the value of a simple handshake, the value of a hug. Un abrazo. We always say, un abrazo. Well, we can't do abrazos now. But we see their value. Or being able to recognize somebody right away because you see their face. Now they're, they're just masks. Let's ask St. Joseph to make us grow in these contradictions. And our Blessed Mother, too, will intercede for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for